Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Uh, If I could title this chat, in fact, I would title it just as I said a moment ago. I want to call this Easter morning sermon Alive and Well. Why don't you turn to someone next to you and just tell them, I'm alive and well today. I know everyone hates doing that, but come on, do it. I'm alive and well. Even if you don't mean it, just fake it till you make it, because I believe that by the time you leave today, you're going to be alive and well. Uh, Let's let's pray, and then we'll get into uh, our scripture for this morning. Uh, Jesus, we welcome you into this house for the next few moments. We thank you that your presence is among us today, and as we've exalted your name, the scriptures tell us that if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us, or two or three are gathered together in your name. You are there in the midst of them, and we sense your presence here today. I ask as we go to the scriptures, we talk about resurrection life. Anyone here in the room this morning who may not be experiencing such a life, I ask that their hearts would be open, their mind would be open to receive what you'd like to speak. And God, we just give you permission to get to the heart of where we're living today and transform us before we leave this place. In the great name of Jesus, amen. 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 Uh, let's go to the scriptures. And uh, normally this is where I would tell you to open up your Bible and follow along. But there is a really long story we're going to be looking at this morning. And so I've done something a bit unconventional. I've removed some of the verses of scripture in the narrative. And so if you're following along in your Bible, you may not, not be able to catch up. So you can turn your attention to the screen. And we're going to look at a story about a guy that we were singing about just a moment ago, Lazarus. Or as my kids thought when they were younger, a dinosaur called the Lazarus. So, uh, Here we go. Uh, A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick, so the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happens so that the glory of God and so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. When Martha received word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yeah, Martha said, he'll rise when everyone else rises at the last day. But Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to her sister Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and she told her, the teacher is here and he wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to see him. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and she said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, he was deeply moved in the spirit and troubled. Where have you put him, he asked. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him? But some said, this man healed a blind guy. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? And Jesus, once more, deeply moved with compassion, came to a cave. The stone rolled across its entrance. 
Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he's been there for four days. The King James Version literally says, Lord, he stinketh. I just love that line. I think I'm going to add it into my vocabulary. But Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. And Jesus told them, unbind him and let him go. And this concludes story time with Pastor Tim. <laughs> I know it's a lot of scriptures to unpack this morning, but I also know that maybe not everyone in the room might be familiar with this story. And to fully understand the gravity of Jesus' statement here, we need the context. We need the narrative. Uh, and to be true, tell the truth, I, I've kind of developed a bit of a love-hate relationship with this story as I've studied for the last week. I love it because there is so much good content here, so many truths displayed in this story. But I've kind of begun to hate it because I feel like it's too much. Like, honestly, you could do an entire series just on this story. If we really wanted to mine this for the truth it has available, it would take hours this morning to really look into this story and begin to apply everything that Jesus is trying to show us to our lives. And as much as I would love to spend hours with you this morning unpacking the word, I've been told that my voice gets a little annoying after about 35 minutes. And so I'm going to do my best. Thank you. Okay, they didn't do that at the nine o'clock. I was begging for a like, no, please spend hours with us today. We've set our entire day aside to be with you, Pastor Tim. But that's fine. It's whatever. I can encourage myself. Uh, so instead, what I'd like to do for the next couple of moments is just hone in on the truths of this text that directly apply to Jesus' statement. I am the resurrection and the life. In order to do that, the first thing we need to unpack is this issue of delay that we see in the story. Delay. Uh, let me just ask, how many of you love to be delayed? How many of you love it when your flight is delayed? How many love it when your Amazon package gets lost and it's delayed? How many love living with people that take a lot longer to get ready than you do? And so you don't... <laughs> is your wife still here? Hopefully she didn't hear you say that. All right. Yeah, no one likes delay. I'm with you. But it's a reality of life, isn't it? We all have to deal with delay almost on a regular basis. And that is a reality that I had to face yet again uh, just this last week. Uh, I know we've got some newer folks with us, but uh, I have been told that I wear a little bit more jewelry than the average man. Uh, people kind of make fun of me for it. Don't laugh at that. Uh, I got a, a necklace on and I got a bracelet and I, I got a pinky ring here. Uh, I seem to like to look a little bit bougie, but that's okay. Uh, all of the, the, the jewelry I'm wearing is significant to me in some way. Um, this pinky ring is not my best attempt to become an Italian mobster. Uh, it is a gift from my late Italian grandfather, who was not a mobster, just to be clear, uh, and told me his whole life, I'm gonna leave that ring to you when I pass away. And when he passed away, he left me the ring. So now when I wear it, I think about him. Uh, the necklace around my neck, this was a chain given to me from my late grandmother on my father's side. And on it is a medallion of St. Francis, which is a reminder to pray for our city, the city of St. Francis. On my wrist is a bracelet with Isaiah 62 engraved into it. And if you're new with us, Isaiah 62 is the verse that God gave our community before it ever started, a promise that Isaiah writes about in scripture where God would do such a work in a city that even its reputation would change, that no longer would it be, a no, be known as a place of unrighteousness or perversion, but that he would give it a new name from his 
own mouth, that it would be noised abroad that God is moving in that community. And I believe that Jesus is doing that in our city and he will continue to do that in our city through his church. And so, you know, all of it means something to me. And because I didn't pay for most of the jewelry I'm wearing, most of it is real. The, the pinky ring is real gold, and that's a real diamond, and, and the chain is, is, maybe I shouldn't say this out loud from a stage. I know we still got some ratchet folks in the church, and you might try to take me out afterwards, but it's okay. I got good security. All right, we'll take it down. But uh, the bracelet on my wrist is not real. It is uh, gold-plated. I might to like to look like I'm balling, but I'm a baller on a budget, all right? I'm a pastor, so I got I to gotta keep it light. Uh, but I've been keeping my eye on a bracelet that is real for the last few months. And uh, a week ago, I got a notification that it was going on sale and it was half off. And uh, since my birthday is coming up on May 6th, got your phone, put it in. Uh, I turned 40 on May 6th. Uh, no, you don't look for Thank you. I know. Yeah, it's great. Uh, I decided to uh, go ahead and uh, treat myself and uh, buy myself this bracelet. And I was excited because it was due to arrive before our Easter services. And, you know, I'm like, oh, it's going to go well with my ensemble and I'll have a great bracelet. It's going to be great. But when the day of its arrival came and went and it never showed up, I reached out to the customer service department to ask what gives. And in the middle of studying for our sermon this morning, I get a one sentence response from customer service on Wednesday that reads like this. Your item is in transit but it has experienced a delay. That's it. That's all I got. But when I read that, I couldn't help but read it through the lens of what we're studying this morning. Your item is in transit, but it has experienced some delay. I think all of us know what that feels like. There is, there is perhaps few things more frustrating than expecting something to arrive at a certain time only to find that it has experienced delay. And for those who've been on the team with Jesus for a little bit, there are fewer things more frustrating sometimes than serving a God who seems to be really good at delay. A God that does not operate on our timetable. He, he does not seem to share our sense of urgency sometimes about our situations. It is really easy to quote that old church proverb, God is never late, he's never early, but he's always on time. until you're in a season of waiting, and that one just doesn't feel the same because his version of on time is not your version of on time. And such is the case in our story this morning. We, we witness a moment of delay. Jesus doesn't seem to be interested in operating on the timetable that our people are interested in. In fact, if I could distill this entire scripture down into a single sentence from a customer service representative, it would read like this. Your miracle is in transit, <laughs> but it has experienced some delay. But what's worse about this delay is that it's intentional. Jesus did not get lost in shipping. UPS didn't forget to deliver him to Judea. He chose delay. He waited where he was at for a couple of additional days. And furthermore, because of his choice to delay, it appears as though Jesus has broken a promise he made to these two women. Remember what he said earlier in the story. He said, 
Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. But then we read, as Jesus shows up in Judea a few, chapters, or a few verses later, Lazarus is dead. So what gives, Jesus? What happened to all this? He's not going to die stuff. Now he's dead. I thought you made a promise. I thought you told me that things were going to turn out differently. And here, the one you promised that wasn't going to die, he's dead. So what's the deal, Jesus? But it is here in this frustration of delay and disappointment that we begin to see a very familiar accusation surface. One that I think many of us have shared with Jesus before when we found ourselves in seasons where it seemed he didn't come good on his promise or he wasn't operating on our timetable. But even if we were not bold enough to voice it to Jesus, we definitely thought it about Jesus. And it's the accusation of Martha as she comes running up to Jesus as he arrives in, in Bethany, what does she say? Lord, if only you had been here, things would be different. If you had been here, my brother would not be dead. I thought you loved us. I thought you loved Lazarus. Where were you when we needed you? Where were you when we called out to you? You were nowhere to be found. And because of your delay, look at what happened. In fact, she isn't the only one to share this sentiment. Martha does the same in verse 32. As she comes to Jesus, she says again, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not be dead. And then just to round out a perfect three, we see the crowd say the exact same thing in verse 37. Man, he healed a blind guy. If he had been here, perhaps Lazarus would not be dead. Three times in 44 verses, we see this accusation leveled against Jesus. Where were you? I thought you cared. And personally, I love that this has been preserved for us in the text. I love that John did not get rid of these questions to make the characters look better and more faith-filled. I love that he included this honest detail because as a pastor, this is one of the most commonly leveled accusations I see humanity uh, face Jesus with. Lord, where were you? I thought you cared. I thought you loved us. Uh, I, I thought you promised that things would turn out different. I called out to you. This was preventable, but, but you didn't respond to me when I asked you to. Lord, if you had been here, if you had been here, my family member would not have died. If you had been here and answered my prayer, my marriage would still be intact. If you had been here, my finances would look different. If you had been here, I would not have suffered abuse as a child in the way that I did now dealing with it even years later as an adult. If you had been here, my reputation would remain intact. If you had been here, but you weren't. You did not show up when I asked you to. And for some, that question left unanswered has become the evidence you needed to prove that God didn't exist. <sighs> if he cared, if he was real, things would be different. No, there's no way a loving God would do something like that. And you've dismissed the idea of deity altogether as a result of these accusations, all because of the delay. And while I would love to resolve that tension in your heart this morning, I would love to give you a reason right now, a case closed reason why good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people and why some die and some don't and some are healed and some aren't. I wish I could answer that, but I, I just can't. I'm sorry. I, I don't have a simple answer for that. Scripture tells us that we only see in part while we're here on earth. 
And there are some questions that simply will not be answered until we are with the omniscient one in eternity and they just get chalked up to living on a really messed up planet. But I believe Jesus does give us one clue in this text as to why we experience delay sometimes and why it seems that he does not operate on the same timetable as us. Look, look once again at what Jesus says here in verse 11, excuse me, verse four of chapter 11. It says, when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. It happened for the glory of God. Jesus seems to suggest here that there are times when delay has the capacity to bring greater glory to God than expediency could. That, that delay is not evidence of God's preoccupation or his negligence, but it is a divine orchestration of events that will allow God to receive maximum glory that he could not have received if he had done things on our timetable. This is all about the glory of God. Did, did Jesus want to heal Lazarus? Could he have healed Lazarus? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, not to read too much between the lines, but I would assume that there was a desire in Jesus' heart to heal his friend. The Bible says that every time Jesus looked upon crowds that were sick, he had compassion on, uh, on him and he was moved to action. He loved to heal the sick. Knowing that your close friend is sick and you could do something about it, I believe that Jesus wanted to go heal Lazarus. But knowing that in so doing, the glory would have been diminished, instead, he waits. There's a sermon title no one likes, Jesus Waits. <laughs> But he does. Two days, in fact, according to the story. And as a result of his two-day delay, we read that when Jesus arrives on the scene, his friend Lazarus has been dead for four days. Four days. Now, that might seem an insignificant detail, but I assure you it is not. John has very intentionally included this detail because he understands that when we get what this detail means, it will, it will underscore the significance of what Jesus is about to say about himself. Without this reality, the resurrection and the life do not pack nearly the same punch. So, so let's unpack this four days for just a second, if we could. Theologians will tell us that at this time in history, there was a, uh, a thought among Jewish people that after death, the spirit of a human could kind of hover around someone's body for up to three days and return, which is kind of creepy when you think about it. Like, ugh, it's just, just hovering. But that's what they believed. And so if the spirit returned to an individual, that person could come back to life and it would just be a normal occurrence. Kind of mystical, but they had seen it happen and so they assumed that that was the case. But Jesus, understanding this cultural persuasion of the time, he does something very intentional. He waits. He waits until the natural timeline that the culture understood had passed so that when the miracle came, they would not be able to say, oh, the spirit just returned to this individual. This was just some unexplainable thing that we don't quite understand, but we believe it can happen. He waited beyond the hope of human instinct, and he said, I'm going to ensure that when this miracle comes, nobody other than me and my father get the glory for it. He waited until the glory could come. This is an Isaiah 42, eight moment. 
Lord says, I will not share my glory with another. He did not want them to chalk it up to mysticism or a misdiagnosis. Jesus understood, if I wait four days, everybody will know that it was me. This was about glory. And so, in light of that, let me pose an uncomfortable question that I think the text demands for all of us. A question that maybe you did not expect to be faced with on Easter, but I think it's important we consider it. If what Jesus does here is for the sake of glory, I wonder if your delay could not be a divine setup. Could your delay be a divine setup? Could the reason the healing hasn't come or, or, or the provision hasn't come, or the deliverance has not come yet, isn't because God is preoccupied or he's negligent or he's angry and trying to teach you a lesson, but because God is cooking something up in the spirit where he is about to do something exceedingly abundantly above anything you could ask, think, or imagine, but he is orchestrating the events of your life in such a way so that when the miracle comes, when the deliverance comes, when the provision comes, nobody else can get the glory except for him. Could it be? And just to be clear, just so that we're not wondering in our heads, he's not a cruel God. You are not some pawn in God's scheme where he's like, okay, let's see how much we can make him suffer, how much trauma we can put him through just so I can get some glory. No, come on. He's not twisted like that. But he loves you enough to ensure that all the crutches are stripped away and all of the other things that could get glory are stripped away so that when he does what you're praying for him to do, no one else can get the glory but him. So let me ask again. What if your delay is in fact a divine setup? What if? And rest assured, I would not pose a question to you that I would not be willing to answer myself. As many of you know, our family had to wrestle with that question quite a bit over the last 18 months. And I apologize if I'm retelling a story you've heard before, but I'm gonna tell this story over and over and over again as long as I got breath in my lungs. And for those who may have never heard it, allow my life to be an illustration for this thought this morning. Uh, in September of 2021, my oldest daughter, Ellie, um, walked out of her bedroom at night in severe pain, keeled over in the hallway, and she was completely jaundiced, bright yellow, and we knew we had to get her to the ER. We rushed her off to the hospital, and when we arrived, we discovered that she needed to have emergency surgery to remove both her spleen and her gallbladder as a result of a hereditary blood disorder that she received from her parents. You're welcome, kiddo. I hope you enjoy your gift. Uh, but after they removed her organs, uh, she recovered in the hospital, and uh, we thought everything was fine, so they discharged us. We went home to uh, get back to normal life. But unbeknownst to us and unbeknownst to the surgeons, uh, she also had two very rare blood clotting disorders that caused her to develop a massive blood clot in her portal vein, which is the main vein that feeds blood to your liver as a result of the trauma from surgery. And so even though we had just been discharged shortly thereafter, we found ourselves back in the ICU, discovered that she was on death's doorstep where they literally kept her alive for a week in the hospital as a result of this massive blood clot. Um, after about a week, uh, we were discharged once again, this time with blood thinning medication, shots we had to give her in her stomach twice a day in hopes that the blood thinners would dissolve or dislodge that blood clot inside of her portal vein, uh, but they did not. After six months, 
the blood clot was still there, and in a meeting with her hematologist, we learned from him that at this point in her medical journey, it was impossible for that blood clot to be removed. The blunt thinners didn't work, there wasn't any other medication, and in fact, because of her blood clotting disorder, there were no surgical options available and no treatment available for her condition, and the only option for us was management. Management consisted of a daily dose of cancer medication to reduce her platelet count in an attempt to thin her blood, the viscosity, and monthly endoscopies where she would go in and her GI doctor would literally take rubber bands and put them around the hemorrhaged veins in her esophagus to keep them from bursting and her bleeding internally, essentially keeping her alive one month at a time. It was horrific. And let me take this moment to state the obvious. There was never a day during this 18-month period where we did not pray and contend and believe for the healing of my daughter. Many of you in this community, you fasted with us. You prayed with us. You showed up to our house. You showed up to the hospital. And a family contended for my baby girl's healing. Every time we went into the hospital, people gathered around and we prayed again. But it seemed with every endoscopy, we got the same news. Things had not improved. In some cases, they had only gotten worse. And it felt for a while like this God that we believed could heal was delayed. That he just was not interested in responding to our requests. That somehow this miracle got lost in the mail and it wasn't showing up anytime soon. But on February 24th of this year, Ellie went in for a routine endoscopy and at the conclusion, her GI doctor came out into the waiting room and found Robin and said, I have good news for you. Things look different. In fact, they look normal. We were kind of, wait, what? And she said, I'm not sure what happened. This is perplexing to me. This doesn't make sense. So I'd like her to get an ultrasound so that we can get a better look at what's going on inside of Ellie's body. A few hours later, Ellie went in for an ultrasound. And that ultrasound revealed to the amazement of her doctors that this immovable blood clot, the one that her hematologist said would be there for the rest of her life, the one that the medical community did not have any surgeries for or treatment for, and the one that no patient in her condition in medical history had ever seen resolved, that blood clot was now miraculously gone and blood flow had returned to her liver. Come on, to God be the glory for something that only he can do. Now listen, listen. No parent in their right mind would subject their child to that kind of pain. I would love to be the holy guy up here and say, yes, you can take my kid and put her in pain so that you can get glory, God. But no parent in their right mind would do that. But let me tell you this. On the other side of the healing, we would not trade what we experienced for the world. We would not trade it because God did something in the delay that could have never been done in the expediency. Not only did he fortify the faith of a family and a little 12-year-old girl that will now get to declare for the rest of her life that she has seen the power of God move in a miraculous way in her body. Not only did it build the faith of an entire community of believers that contended and prayed and fasted together for God to move, but in the delay, no doctor, no medication, no treatment, and no surgery got to get the glory at the end. Only Jesus got to stand up at the end of this miracle and say, I did something that no one else on this planet can do. To God be the glory.
So don't discount your delay. You don't know what God is doing right now. You don't know what's being developed in you right now. Don't throw in the towel and quit early because God's not answering prayers in the timeline that you want him to. Understand that he is positioning you for his glory. That was the case for Lazarus. Had it not been for the delay, Lazarus would have never died. But if Lazarus never died, Jesus would never have the opportunity to introduce himself to us in John chapter 11 in the way that we are concluding this series, where he stands up in the midst of death and says, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, notice, notice that both of these words are underlined, resurrection and life. They're underlined because they appear at first to be a bit of a redundancy. Jesus just saying the same thing two different ways. But Jesus is not repeating himself in this text. He wasn't at a loss for words. This was a very intentional wording because Jesus is speaking very specifically to two promises he makes us with this declaration. The first of them is perhaps the most obvious. He's speaking about eternity. He's talking about eternity, eternal life. When Martha comes to Jesus and she says, yeah, I know that my brother will rise again. And Jesus says, yes, all who believe in me will live even after dying. He's clearly talking about eternity. This is not a statement about immortality. We're all going to die. We're all going to spend eternity somewhere. And he's saying, if you believe in me, you will resurrect to eternal life. But, but while he is talking about eternity, he's not only talking about eternity. He is also making a second statement here. If he was only talking about heaven, he would have chosen one phrase, one noun. Either I am the resurrection or I am the life. But to show us that he is making a double assertion here, he uses two separate words to display this promise for us. Permission to nerd out and go a little bit deep for our final moments together. You guys up for that? Good, because whether you say yes or not, we're gonna go there, all right? We're going into the deep end of the pool for the last couple of moments here. I love, I love looking at the Greek language and what words mean because it allows us to see a greater breadth of what Jesus is saying here. When, when Jesus uses this word resurrection, he is using the word anastasis in the Greek. And the word anastasis means exactly what we would expect it to mean. It means to resurrect from the dead to life, to have breath return to your lungs. And both Jesus and Martha use this word. She says, yes, I know my brother will anastasis again. And then Jesus looks back at her and he says, I am the anastasis. I am the one who brings fresh life to the body. But he doesn't just say that. He adds this second word in the Greek, the word life, which in the Greek language is the word zoe, zoe. And zoe defined means this. The state of one, I love this line, who is possessed of vitality. I love that. Life real and genuine a life active and vigorous, devoted to God, blessed in the portion, even in this world, of those who put their trust in Christ. Note again the underlined portion of this definition. He says, possessed by vitality, active, vigorous, devoted to God, blessed where? Even in this world. So, so this is not something we're looking forward to in eternity. This is not a one day experience. This is a here. This is a now, this is a promise in what you're facing currently that you can have Zoe life. Now, this tells me something. Thank you, CJ, I appreciate you. This tells me something. The fact that Jesus uses two separate words here, it tells me something. It tells me that it is entirely possible, as you heard in the video a few moments ago, 
To be alive, but not truly living. To be breathing, but not experiencing this Zoe kind of life. Vigor, joy, a desire for God, a hunger, a blessedness. To, putting in contrast to our title, be alive, but unwell. And to prove to us that this reality exists, Jesus introduces us to our character, Lazarus. A man who is anastasis. Breath has returned to his lungs. He is alive. But even though he's alive, he's still covered in some grave clothes. He is alive, but he's not truly living. Let me say it like this. He's alive, but he looks like this. One of the perks of doing church in a Masonic building is endless props. <laughs> At least I hope this is a prop and not just an old member of the lodge here. I'm just, <laughs> I'm sorry, that's not funny. <laughs> hey, Brother Will, how you doing? All right, good. Good to have you. <laughs> I wonder... I wonder how many of our lives in the spirit look like this right now. I wonder how many of us are alive, but still mummified in the spirit. Breathing, anastasis with no zoe. Just surviving, suffering through life. This is God's lot for me. No vitality, no vigor, no joy, just alive but covered in death. Unless we get caught in endless analogies, let me be clear about what I'm saying today. It is entirely possible for you to be sitting in this room physically alive but carrying a lot of death. You could have some dead hopes in the room today, some dead dreams, a situation that looks like it is as good as dead a marriage that is flatlined, some relationships in your family that look like they're dead. You could even be saved and still suffering with depression and anxiety. Saved but feeling guilty and ashamed, covered like, like a mummy in shame because despite your best attempts, you've not been able to break free of that addiction. You've not been able to break free of that pattern and you just constantly feel like a, a failure coming to God. You are alive, but you're not thriving. There's no Zoe. But if I could be the predictable preacher on Easter morning, I would speak the same words over you that Jesus spoke 2,000 years ago. If you find yourself today covered in death, I believe Jesus would come up to you face to face and he would say, I see the death that surrounds you, but I'm here to introduce myself. I am the resurrection and I am the Zoe life that you are looking for. This is not your lot in life. This is not what life is supposed to look like for you. Jesus did not die on a cross and be beaten unrecognizable so that you could kind of slough through life and just suffer with no enjoyment and no joy. No, he gave his life so that you could be alive and well, so that you could be filled with Zoe life. You are resurrected, but you've also got some fresh joy, some fresh passion, some blessing, some vigor, some vitality. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. 
Man, if this is what you look like in the spirit today, I believe God brought you to the Father's house on Easter 2023, whether it was by way of invitation or religious obligation, or this is just the normal place you hang out on a Sunday morning to look at you and say, son, daughter, I'm taking your grave clothes off once and for all. He would speak over you as he spoke over Lazarus. Unbind them and let them go. This is not what life is supposed to look like. And yeah, we get excited. Yay! But let's be real. That still stirs up another question. Like, I've wanted that for a long time. I've desired that kind of life for a long time. But how am I supposed to find it? How do I shed these grave clothes? Well, for starters, I think the text is clear. You can't do it by yourself. It says in verse 44 that Lazarus' hands and feet were bound and there was a cloth covering his face. So even if he wanted to, he would not have been able to remove his own grave clothes. He couldn't even see what he needed to do. In fact, that's why Jesus looks at the people around him and says, you guys, untie him and let him go. So side note, another sermon for another day, but maybe the freedom you're looking for is as simple as deeply committing yourself to some relationships with other believers that can see the things you don't see in your life and love you enough to begin to unwrap some of those dead things that are trying to hold you captive. Maybe you need to come to church more than just once a year on Easter or twice a year on Easter and Christmas or once a month when you feel like you need it or not without ever actually getting committed and joining a group, but you need to deeply immerse yourself in a community of believers because it is only when other people can begin to take off your cloth that you will experience the freedom that you're truly looking for. Again, Another sermon for another day, <laughs> but take it if you need it. For today, I think there's two things, very briefly, I wanna tell you uh, we need to do if we're gonna experience this kind of freedom to shed those grave clothes before we get out of here. The first is you gotta heed the call. You gotta heed the call. The, the story tells us that Jesus walked up to Lazarus' tomb, the stone was rolled away, and he called to the dead man. He said, Lazarus, come out. There was a response required. Lazarus had to hear the call and heed the call. And unimaginably, there are people in the room today who have never heeded the call before to follow Jesus. You still find yourself in the proverbial grave of sin. And you know that Jesus has been drawing you. Maybe that's even why you're here this morning. But it does no good just to hear him say it. You've got to respond to that call. In fact, that is the very reason we are sitting in this room today. We are here on Easter Sunday because it is all about responding to Jesus. At the end of the day, this whole story is a foreshadowing of something that took place a few chapters later, where like Lazarus, Jesus would allow his hands and his feet to be bound, first with ropes and then by nails on a cross. And after he had breathed his last and said it was finished, like Lazarus, they would wrap him up and put him in a grave and roll the stone over the entrance. And then like Lazarus, once hope was all gone, there was no way he was coming back to life by himself. On the third day, he resurrected and he shed his grave clothes. He walked out of that grave into the garden so that every single one of us, every Lazarus that would come thereafter could experience the resurrection life available in a resurrected king. That's why we're here today. And, and if you have never responded to that call, today is that day to say, I hear what you're saying, Jesus, and I will step out of that grave and I will follow you. And rest assured, we'll give you an opportunity to pray that prayer and make that commitment in just a few moments.
But the second way you shed these grave clothes is something we, we talk about every single week, celebrate every single week around here, but we ramp it up a little bit on Easter. And that is, you cannot shed these clothes without water baptism. You gotta get water baptized. The Bible says in Romans chapter six that in baptism, we join Christ Jesus in his death. That in the very same way he was buried in that tomb, as you are baptized, that old, sinful, messed up, date anything, wanna cuss all the time, smoke it, drink it, do it, <laughs> is buried in the waters. That's why we hold some people down a little bit longer than others. But then when you come up out of those waters, you join Christ in his resurrection. And it's the same word in the Greek, the zoe resurrection. A new life is found on the other side of burying your sinful self and resurrecting to new life when you come up out of those waters. Let me be clear. The Bible says repent and then get baptized. It does not say repent, wait five months until you figure it out, you've cleaned yourself up a little bit and you think you're worthy enough to get baptized and then get baptized. It is supposed to be an immediate subsequent act. And the reason it was intended to be an immediate subsequent act is because it is in the waters of baptism where all of those grave clothes get to shed off once and for all and you are liberated to live a new life. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church and click on the prayer and praise link tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.